0: On well, this edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum podcast, we've got Coach Jim Tufts with us, and uh, Jim, good to have you back on board. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but let's start off with the Bruins. I know your love of hockey and 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 uh, fans in Boston with their record breaking season,
1: well, historic regular season. I mean, it's every so many records that they've set, and it was just they just kept building on it and building on it. But the playoffs are a different uh, they're a different animal, and uh, you know you play the same team repeatedly so people get to know each other and you build up a little uh, animosity and um, it's never easy you know hockey is a grind and it's uh, unlike other sports where the visiting team rarely wins in hockey hockey, they often win too many times you look back historically there are too many times that the number eight seed wins the cup number seven seed wins the cup. I think the year last time the Bruins did it, they did it as a wild card. So uh, hockey's hockey is that sport where it's tough to predict.
0: Now, having a new coach behind the bench and having this historic season, most wins in a season for an NHL team and, and, and most goals, does that put a lot of pressure on him for his uh, sophomore season?
1: Um, yes and no. I mean, I think Montgomery's been a great fit because I think he, Bruce Cassidy really put a lot of pieces in play, but I think he was tough on guys. And I think Montgomery has built a lot. I don't think he's changed a lot. He's changed a little. He's, he's allowed the defensemen to get into the play more, uh-huh. so a little bit more offense because those defensemen have a little more freedom. But I think the younger kids are developing because he's a little easier. He's holding them accountable. But at the same time, he's letting their personalities come into play a little bit. And I think he's, uh, he's done that other places. And hockey is, again one of those sports where you keep seeing coaches reinvent themselves. And he had a lot of success where he was in Dallas. And then he was a major part of St. Louis's success as an assistant. And you know, now he's built on what he's learned and um, he's a little more mature coach.
0: I don't think any of us anticipated his first year this was going to be the way things would go, but, hey, like you say, the pieces were there, and everything just kind of flowed. So,
1: I think the pressure next year, I I think this is Bergeron and Krejci's last time. I I think that's a lot of the guys they picked up at the trade deadline, and they bought in, let's go for it, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with Krejci and Bergeron This is their last rodeo. They went to Florida and Coyle moved up to center the first group and Zaka moved up to center group, second group. And that's what you're going to see next year. And I think that's going to be the pressure next year is replacing those guys.
0: Then, you know, the sport that, and and it's funny because I'm getting more involved with it at uh, at the high school level for the public address announcing and something that I know you're very familiar with having been an official for years is lacrosse. And and the the similarities to the sports, from your perspective, as an official, draw the lines, the similarities, if you can, between hockey and lacrosse.
1: It's interesting. It's, it's hockey and lacrosse, but it's also got a lot of basketball, and it's got a lot of soccer in it right. um, because of the flow of players and the way people interchange. So it is similar to hockey. Change on the fly, guys run off, guys run on. Um, defensive players become offensive players and there's that freedom to do that. Um, you know, the offsides and things like that. But you can also teach basketball players. There's a lot of picking. There's a lot of picking, there's a lot of movement off the ball that's very similar to basketball. Uh, and basketball players can pick it up really, really quickly uh, because of the flow of the game. Uh, and then soccer players changing defensive assignments, um, people going to different places, running in a space. So it, it's a great game for um, an Exeter high school is is absolutely the best at this. Um, Exeter High has a lot of multi-sport athletes. You know, those of us as coaches and particularly um, under Billy's tutelage, we didn't like ones. We didn't. We try to encourage kids not to be one-sport athletes, be multi-sport athletes. In lacrosse, soccer, basketball, hockey, there's a lot of the same things happening. And so it's easy for kids to be multi-sport kids because the games are similar.
0: Yeah, very, very similar. Now, you know, the basketball analogy, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the the obvious one is it's, Hockey on grass.
1: <laughs> it is, but it's but it's got a lot of basketball. It's got a lot of. I set a pick for you. You run off my pick. Right now you get open. Now you
0: get the ball. Now what about the girls' game? Now girls' lacrosse is uh, the rules are a little different, right? And, and and you you mentioned this. We had a lacrosse primer one of the times you were with us. But uh, what are the what are the notable differences between uh, girls' lacrosse and boys' lacrosse?
1: Well, I had this conversation at the gymnasium at Phillips Exeter yesterday with a women's lacrosse coach at Phillips Exeter, Carrie McGreary. And um, there's a shortage of, it came out of, there's a shortage of officials and um, there's a shortage of officials in every sport, but I would say one of the sports that it's most dire is women's lacrosse. I, I know of instances this spring where games have been canceled because they can't get officials.
0: Wow.
1: And unfortunately we haven't had that in other sports but there are those of us out here doing more games than we ought to be doing because there are shortages. But but women's lacrosse it's a game that the ga- the rules are very 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 different. And it you need to not only watch it um But almost watch a practice so that you get the subtleties of it, because there are subtleties in you can't be in an airspace and you can't be between a person and the goal in certain instances, and you have to allow them to get there and so you have to pick up the subtleties of when somebody is actually in that space or when The offensive player makes it look like they're in the space. So I cannot profess to be able to help you. uh, (laughs) Because I said to her, in order for me to, I've been officiated soccer, hockey, basketball, um, lacrosse. I, I I was at the high school watching a baseball game and the umpire didn't show up. I went behind the plate. I feel comfortable being able to do most sports. I would have difficulty in field hockey and women's lacrosse. I I don't feel like I could step in and do that game justice because there are so many subtleties that only a person who's played it or coached it would be conversant in it, be be able to be comfortable.
0: And another thing I noticed with lacrosse, uh, a lot of these kids – Take this sport on to college. A lot of them are are gonna get scholarships to play in college. So, you know, it it obviously we got some talent here, not just only in the Seacoast, but here in the state of New Hampshire.
1: And a lot of it you will not find this a surprise. Some many of the top players come out of the Tomahawk program, New Hampshire Tomahawks, and that's the club program, like Seacoast United in soccer. Mm-hmm. Tomahawk lacrosse, again, is the gold standard. There's four-leaf, there's hooligans, there's some other club programs. But I would say Tomahawk is the premier program. And Chris Cameron, the Bishop Girton varsity coach, is the head of the Tomahawk program.
0: Have you seen that, as a coach, help help sports in general, all the high school sports?
1: No question. and And much of the success that... I had at Exeter High School with my programs was built on the back of Paul Willis and Seacoast United Soccer and Exeter Youth Soccer. Kids would be really successful Exeter Youth Soccer, but then when they made that commitment to, I really want to maybe play beyond high school, they transitioned to Seacoast United and now started playing in tournaments in New Jersey and Dallas, Texas, and traveling with the Seacoast program. and That's where they got much of their exposure and um, coaches who might not see them in the fall because they were coaching in their college coaches in their own season. They would see them in December and they would see them in January and they would see them in March and April in club tournaments. And yes, we corresponded with them as high school coaches, but their exposure was through Seacoast United soccer um, club hockey, uh, Tomahawk lacrosse, but these club programs provide exposure for kids out of their high school season. Yes. No question.
0: I want to shift gears here. You've got something coming up on May 7th that, uh, you've been involved with for years about your family's involvement with special Olympics. Uh, tell us about what's happening May 7th at Exeter high school.
1: So we're really, really excited that the, the last at Exeter high school and throughout the state, there are teams and ours is the Exeter area team. So the majority of our kids, athletes, I call them kids, athletes um, that are involved in our program are either at the middle school, at the at Lincoln street, at the high school, or they're graduates of those programs and, and, Have stayed with us and competed with us, and they're adult athletes, but they're graduates. But we also have some Hampton Falls athletes, some Portsmouth athletes, some Fremont athletes. Um, And so it's an extra area team. And um, our last season of competition was in June of 2019 (laughs) Mm. and the pandemic hit in the spring of 20 and so we couldn't train for track and then um, we do do there are other seasons but our track group actually practiced last spring where we were going to have a competition and we had a 95 degree day and didn't compete so the last time the track and field Athletes competed as a group in the state was June of 19th. So, our kids have have been practicing since late March, Tuesdays and Thursdays at Exeter High School, and they practice for um, running, walking, wheelchair, throwing, shot put, javelin, softball, uh, running long jump, standing long jump, and in May 7th, um, there will be five area meets in New Hampshire. And ours is the Seacoast area meet at Exeter High School. Uh, It'll start around 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, We'll have a couple of races. Then we'll have an opening ceremonies. And then we'll have a track meet that'll run into early afternoon. And we'll have around 200 athletes from the Seacoast area that will be competing for the first time in four years. Wow. It's, we're really, really excited.
0: You've seen it, how this has had a positive effect on, on all those young people involved and then as they grow into their adult lives.
1: And, and talking about our team, so each one of our athletes has at least one and some multiple peer coaches and they're Exeter High School students. So, for instance, I'll speak about my son, Maddie. Maddie is going to compete in three running events, two running events, a relay, and a ball throw. And his coach is Dylan Drunzik. Dylan Drunzik is a um, soccer player and a track athlete at Exeter High School. And he comes out twice a week, and he's Maddie's coach. And he helps him train for his events. He gets them stretched out. They train for their events. And each one of our athletes, we have 35 athletes who are going to compete, have a high school peer coach that has been working with them all spring. In this, Dylan's case, he was Maddie's coach last year, and he'll be again next year as a senior. And there are adults now that were peer coaches during their high school career that are occupational therapists, speech therapists, paraeducators, special education teachers and regular education teachers and elementary educators who were peer coaches during their time at Exeter High School. And I think it is a lifelong experience, not only for the athlete, lifelong experience for our athletes and the socialization, the exercise, the, the lifetime fitness. So it's a great experience for the athletes, but it's an equally lifelong experience for these kids that are peer coaches. And when I have my meet I'm sure some of the kids that will, you're going to come help me, which is awesome. And anybody who wants to come help a just show up at Exeter high school on May 7th or B send me an email at tufts.gym42 at uh, gmail.com. But you'll see not only the high school kids, but there'll be some college kids that are home from their break that will come help because they want to see their athletes. And, it, and that volunteering as a peer coach is a lifelong experience.
0: Now, your family's involvement, just give us a little capsule history of, of how you, your family became involved and actually started the program.
1: So my, my mom and dad were tremendous role models for us. Um, and dad was a nurseryman, a businessman in town. Was a legislator, was a senator, was an official, um, and, and he showed us so many things in different ways. Mom was at home with us four kids, but she was so in the '60s. Kids with disabilities didn't go to school, didn't go to public school, and they went to Rocky. They went to the Rockingham School for Special Children, which was on Lincoln Street, or they went to Great Bay School or they went to Laconia State School, or they went to Crotchet Mountain, or they went to Easter Seals in Manchester. And mom was principal of the Rockingham School for Special Children. And uh, it had about somewhere between 80 and 100 um, students uh, with disabilities. And in 1968, Eunice Shriver, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, um, had the World Special Olympic Games in Chicago at Soldier Field in Chicago. And mom sitting back here in New Hampshire said, that's something we ought to do. So she went to her friends, Cass Donovan, who was the track coach at Exeter High School and Ted Seabrook, who was the uh, athletic director at Phillips Exeter and said, we need to do this. And they got it organized. And in June 15, 1970, the first Special Olympics meet, track meet, took place. It wasn't just track. They had swimming in the pool as well. It took place at Phillips Exeter Academy with Exeter High School and Exeter Academy as the hosts and mom and dad as the directors. And um, that was it. That was the first one. The second one was at, at, at Phillips Exeter. And in 1972, Special Olympics Incorporated. And hired an executive director and they were off and running. So um, in, in, in June of 1970, I was a peer coach. Mom said, this is what you're responsible for. And and one of my buddies, I'll connect things here for you. One of my buddies, John Hathaway and I ran the shot put area for that meet in June of 1970. And his son gonna gonna to, going to wear number 21
0: for the Bruins. Fantastic. Things together, Sharon. You can tell it, it it's a, a labor of love and and, and and a great tradition your family started the, the this program and, and uh it just keeps growing and and we just want to keep it rolling and rolling and on.
1: One of these things you're gonna be this is going to be your first experience but there are going to be uh, many other volunteers there who've had their first experience and before the day's over they say When's the next one?
0: There you go. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I, I wish we could have done this sooner, but because of COVID and the weather conditions last year, it got delayed. So let's well, hope. I, cool. I don't
1: care what the weather is this year. We're doing it.
0: Good. But go
1: <laughs> as you say, for us personally, uh, you know, mom set the bar and, and, uh, and, and I coach my group. You'll never be surprised that the new market shooting stars are coached by Ann Tufts. Who is an was an OT in Newmarket, who has her own team.
0: Uh, Family it, traditions.
1: <laughs> uh, something we'll be involved with forever. And anybody who comes out and volunteers signs up right there.
0: We'll, we'll be there May 7th. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, it's tufts.gym, right? 42 at gmail.com. Yeah. Two-minute drill time. If you had anything you wanted to throw on the table, aside from what's coming up on the 7th,
1: well, I'm looking – the Bruins, Celtics, we, we've been so spoiled. But, but an interesting experience, and, and I let people kind of think outside the bar. So we get spoiled here. You, you think about – we're New Englanders, right? So we've got the Bruins, the Celtics, the Sox, the Patriots, the Revolution, things like that. So in March, Leslie and I had an opportunity, and we went to England and Scotland. And so, you know, being a soccer guy and seeing how the world deals with soccer – I got a little perspective, but having the opportunity to actually be there. I started to understand why. So we were in London for four days. We were really, I, I should switch hats. I've got a West Ham United hat because I had a chance. Leslie and I had a chance to go to West Ham, Aston Villa in Olympic Stadium with 60,000 people. Wow. a premier league game. And to put it in perspective people in London don't have all those other sports they don't have yes there are other sports and tennis hits Wimbledon once a year and there are other but they don't have other professional teams per se mm-hmm. in the city of London so the Premier League in England which is perhaps the best professional league in the world and people in Spain and Italy and France would argue with you but in Germany, but of the 20 teams in the Premier League, five of them are in London. So you're not just, you know, you're not Yankees, Yankees, that. You're doing it within town. I show up trying to get a cab and I've got my West Ham hat on and a guy who's a Crystal Palace fan won't get me a cab. (laughs) I'm wearing a West Ham hat. Right, and this is a and That's what he's supposed to be doing, but over there, for nine months of the year, they're invested in their team, not not multiple teams, their team. Right, and uh, we sat. We had tremendous seats. A friend of mine who taught with me in the summer at Phillips Exeter got me seats, which was the only way I was going to get them. I had, I had. Fifteen people trying to get me t- sick tickets. You can't do it. You have to belong to the club to get it. And so she found a friend who wasn't going to the game who sold us two tickets. Wow. So in front of me is a person my age with his son with his son. So it's three generations of family watching this game. And that young man is a West Ham. Fan for the rest of his life. And when we look at the World Cup and the passion that soccer brings, it's hard for us here because we, you know, I'm a Bruins fan, but boy, I went up, I was up last night to the end of the Celts game. Right. And I'll sit and watch the Pate. And so I'll watch multiple sports. But over there, they live and breathe soccer and their team. Their professional team in that city is what they talk about over breakfast and what they text about with their buds because it's that team. It's Mm -hmm. not multiple sports. It's that team. And it's passion within the city about your team. And it's a religion. And I get a better perspective of just what soccer meant to that population. And we're, we're spoiled in this country because we have, you know, if the Celts lose, the Bruins lose, we'll turn the page a little bit.
0: Right. Right.
1: They fire managers if they're 500.
0: (laughs) You know, I don't know if you followed it at all, or if you've seen it, but uh, Ted Lasso,
1: everybody says that's just a tremendous show, but, but that's a perfect example. So they have right now, Manchester City is going to play Manchester United for the FA Cup. So that's the Football Association of England. So that tournament starts with any team that wants to play in it. So if Exeter, so they have the, we see the Premier Division. That's the first level. And there's a second level and a third level and a fourth level and a fifth level. So if the town of Exeter in their fifth level, wants to enter a team into that tournament, they might draw Manchester United in the first round. And they play. And occasionally there are teams that will get through to a quarterfinal or a semifinal or something and play one of these premier teams. So can you imagine the town of Exeter sending a basketball team off to play the Celtics? But they have a tournament which allows that? Yeah. It's the FA Cup, fifth, and the towns will put a team in. Just say they got to the play in the tournament. And the triple, the triple is if you win the premier, you win the FA, and you win the Champions League. So the Champions League is the four best team in the Premier, the four best teams in Germany, the four best teams in Spain, four best teams in France in the champion so if some team comes through and wins the champion the premier and the fa they win the triple which is rare
0: i was gonna say that's like winning super bowls back to back to back to back, to back. <laughs> no,
1: but it's even more than that it's like winning the super bowl in the united states and then having a football tournament that, that involves every country so let's say germany had a football league and japan had a football It'd be like baseball so you'd win the world series win the world baseball classic and then you won the olympics
0: it's amazing how it's picked up uh, popularity here in the u.s over just the past few years i mean the national networks are all picking it up for, for ma- major coverage and uh again ted lasso has helped out getting a positive spin on it you know giving more of a, of a user-friendly feel to it So, uh, yeah, it's, it's,
1: I got to to actually kind of, I was, we were there for 13 days and I actually got to kind of feel like, holy mackerel, all they care about is their team. (laughs) No other sport, no other team, just their team.
0: But you got the hat. That's all that matters, right? (laughs) I wear it proudly. For my two minute Drill. I want to note the passing of a legendary ski instructor and uh, a proponent of that sport that lived right here in New Hampshire, in the seacoast. His name was Bob Dunn. Now, Bob owned the Boston Hills ski area in North Andover for years. And, uh, how I got to know him was in my other life for years, I was postmaster in Rye beach, New Hampshire, and and Bob was a resident. So he and I, and his wife, Marion would have uh, conversations almost daily. And Bob was one of those easy-to-go-talk-to guys. He was very, very friendly, warm, had some great stories. He was also a reporter for the Boston Globe. He did their ski column. And uh, the things I used to love is when he'd come back from Boston. And in those days, they actually had to go into Boston to to file their reports. So he'd come back and usually uh, give me a good story about what's going on in, in the newsroom. Uh, and all those legends of sports journalism back in those days, uh, Will McDonough, Bob Ryan, Bud Collins, Ray Fitzgerald, Lee Montville, and the unofficial commissioner of baseball, Peter Gammons. And some of the stories he would tell were just great, not only about his days at the Globe, but his days in Boston, and in that area, and uh, obviously the ski industry itself. Bob Dunn was one of the good guys. So to his family, and most importantly, his wife of over 60 years, Marion. He left a legacy of memories and friends, and I'm happy to say that I'm one of those guys. And someday, I hope on the other side, I'll be able to take him up on those ski lessons. On behalf of Coach Jim Tuss, I'm Sherb Chester, inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seaco Sports Forum Podcast.